This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between, I'm your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and as always, I am joined by Gerard Hurricane Martinez, my podcasting partner in crime. Gerard, we got a, a packed show here. We got a lot of things to talk on. Talk on. We got a commitment. We got a big visit, not to USC to talk about. We got a recruiting event to talk about. We got an upcoming commitment. We got a crystal ball to talk about. There's so many little things we have to talk about. And I'm worried the show will go on for five hours. So we got to get into it quick. But Gerard, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. I, I thought maybe you were like over the podcast and just wanted to get it done quick because you weren't into it. But the energy level seems very high from you right now. So I like it. I say Peristyle, bring the good vibes, get Chris going. We got a jam-packed show. We got a lot of things to talk about. We've got uh, some potential subject matter here that might take me off the rails into some weird conversation so we're gonna see how it goes he's only saying that because maybe 30 seconds before i hit record i did a yawn in the middle of something he was saying he was like oh am i boring you am i boring you but no gerard i turn the energy on when the little red light is on i bring it i bring it for the the two star i flip the the switch switch. i like it i like some guys flip the switch you know in the locker room they're a little you know down or whatever but when they flip that switch they come out of that tunnel. It's game time. Helmets on. It's time to go. It's time to go. Transformed from yeah. Chris Trevino into 10K. But you had a little bit of a vacation. Are you? Do you feel well rested? Because we're moving into fall camp, Gerard. It's it's go time. Uh, the honest answer to that is no. Okay. Mainly at, least you're uh, honest. at least you're honest. It really wasn't much of a case. It was it was a couple days here and there, but uh, but that's okay because you know what? I'll figure it out as time goes on. It's the type of job that uh, we don't have to go to an office, you know? Uh, well, you yes. have to be in the well, studio. Well, I'm, as I'm literally listening to you say that, in an office, in a studio right now, but yes. <laughs> you yes. do have to go to the studio for uh, the podcast. But most of the time, we work at home. So we find our reprieve from the recruiting process when we can, you know, duck out here and there. And so, uh, you know, not a big deal. But, uh, yeah, as far as the vacation goes, um, between everything that happened last weekend – and uh, the Michael Benuelos commitment and doing the podcast and uh, doing the war room. <laughs> there wasn't uh, editing some tape, uh, not, not a whole lot of uh, actual like, uh, you know, uh, drinks with umbrellas in them going on. But uh, nevertheless, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm just the kind of person that uh, as long as I don't have to be on the peristyle for 10 hours a day, I, I consider that a little bit of a vacation for me. Well, there you go. And let's get into today's cold open, which is a little bit of a fun one because Today's opening is Malachi's, uh, Gerard. We have two very big topics to talk about, and they both happen to be named Malachi. USC did pick up its 14th commitment in the 2023 class, four-star Oxnard, California, Malachi Crawford. He made a little bit of a surprise commitment uh, the other day to get USC back up to number 13 in the country. We're going to talk about him. And then 
five-star quarterback Malachi Nelson out of Los Alamitos took a very hot topic, maybe you could call a controversial, unofficial visit to Texas A&M over the weekend for their big pool party event. I know this obviously caused a stir on social media. It caused a stir in our war room conversation on Friday, and it just caused overall panic and the sky is falling uh, with the Paris style all weekend. And that's something we we saw frequently on the board. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that visit. We're going to talk about what it means, maybe a little bit about what we're hearing, uh, maybe maybe calm some people down, maybe fire some people up. I don't know. So we're going to have that, that conversation. But I want to start with the commitment because commitments are always headliners on this show. So USC did get the commitment of four-star Oxnard Pacifica cornerback Malachi Crawford and Gerard. This is someone we've talked about on the show multiple times. This is a guy we always felt, you know, USC was in that pole position. A little bit interesting of a recruitment. You know, early, early on in his uh, his recruiting cycle, he he committed to UCLA. You know, I believe he was just going into his junior year. He was kind of a sophomore. Then he backed off that commitment uh, right uh, in January, around that time of the new year started. And then USC really picked up their commi- uh, their recruitment of him. Dante Williams went back at it. And then eventually, you know, that kind of whittled down from a top 10 to a top 7 to a final three of UCLA, his former school, USC, and the Golden Bears, uh, which was kind of a, a surprise one there. And so much so that even the cow had recently picked up some crystal balls for for, for young Malachi. And I know this was something because we have been talking about him on the show a lot and how USC we always felt was the leader. And then to come out with these cow crystal balls was, you know, kind of a kind of a curveball. But then we reported, uh, I believe it was this past war room, kind of, you know, USC look out is really making a push back into that leader position that moved to the big 10 has really started to open the eyes. And that's sort of a common theme with the latest run of commitments is that the big 10 move has certainly helped and has played a major factor for a guy like Tackett Curtis, for a guy like Micah Benuelos. He mentioned that specifically in his recruitment that the big 10 move playing against the best, that was something for them that, that made them want to jump on board with the Trojans and the same here for Crawford. You know, he's big, he's long, he's six foot three and a half, six foot, six foot, six foot three and a half. Yes. And six foot four, you know, you kind of round it up or not. 180 pounds. He's rated a consensus four star prospect number 352 in the composite number 33 cornerback, much higher in our rankings. He, in fact, he did see about a 30 point bump in our recent uh, top 247 update. He's now 211 in the national rankings and number 23 at the cornerback's position, and number 14 uh, among prospects in California. So Gerard, Dante Williams, doing work. We don't really get concerned about USC recruiting defensive backs, as we mentioned. Dante Williams always going to have options. And now he is the third defensive back in this class, joining Braxton Myers and uh, another long defensive back, Christian Pierce. So Gerard, how do you feel about this pickup? This is a guy we've seen a lot throughout the offseason at camps and stuff. Well, I think, you know, there's a lot to unpack with Malachi Crawford. Uh, I think first and foremost, as you said, uh, within what USC has committed, a very interesting defensive back that can play a myriad of positions here. And and this is sort of a theme in this class, particularly that USC has gone after guys that play corner in the high school, but are potentially safeties at the next level. And I think with Crawford, compared to Pierce 
and Myers, you have a guy that really could play more corner than safety and has shown everywhere he's gone, he can play cornerback, even at six foot four. He is one of the tallest cornerbacks that we've seen uh, in the recent past. Um, he's legitimately six three and a half, six four. And while you don't want to put him on the slot against a guy like Zach Branch, uh, we've seen him one on one at various camps, and he's been very fluid. He's been very flexible in his hips. It's been a guy that legitimately can play out in that island. And particularly, you could put him against a taller receiver, and he's a great matchup for you. And so um, because he has that height and that length and could probably be 210 in college very easily, you could also put him over the slot and make him more of like a nickel safety uh, or perhaps even a free safety. Um, We haven't seen him play a whole lot in space as like a single high safety at any camps or anything like that. But I don't know that he couldn't play that position either. He certainly has the physical tool set to be able to play that position. So again, Braxton Myers is another guy that a lot of people feel like safety is going to be his best position. You know, he doesn't have the transitional speed, the the sort of top end speed to play a lot of corner, uh, but USC is recruiting him to play boundary corner. And then you've got Christian Pierce, who's going to be a safety, but a guy that has enough athleticism that, Again, you could put him in the nickel and have a personnel package of uh, more of a nickel safety instead of a nickel corner, which is, you know, something that you're going to play with and you're going to see with a lot, especially uh, with the schedule and how it's going to evolve when you go to the big conference and you've got, you know, these teams that are going to be more physical more often. But it's not like you're going to get completely away from teams that also pass the ball. And we're going to see the expansion of that conference and see what other teams are involved in it. And that may also dictate sort of what your personal packages are going to look like from week in to week out. So uh, Malachi Crawford, another guy that um, very versatile in the back seven for USC. And and as you said, commits to UCLA early on. Uh, After he, he committed from UCLA, he went to USC for a couple of the junior days and USC made a big impression on him. And Dante Williams specifically make a big, made a big impression on him. And I think as time went on, he was one of those guys when we looked forward to that June 17th visit, he was on our list. You know, we went through that list of guys that USC can close on, uh, guys that USC really wants to kind of get traction on, and the guys that are kind of falling in between. We weren't really sure, you know, how much serious interest they had in USC. This was maybe the first time that their their families was going to be on campus. So we're kind of trying to figure out with that group. Malachi obviously fell into the group of this is a guy that USC could close with. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that they do close with him despite him canceling that visit. And there was a lot of questions about that visit being canceled. Was USC canceling that visit or was that more Malachi? Malachi said that, you know, his mom wasn't able to make the trip that weekend, even though it had been scheduled for a while which kind of created a little bit of doubt and he wanted to have his family there and he was going to postpone the visit, but then he was going to make a commitment before he would ever take that visit. So there was a lot of signs pointing to maybe USC was looking elsewhere and they were sort of maybe slow playing that recruitment. Uh, But at the same time, I think that they kept recruiting him and they stayed involved with him. And that's the thing is regardless of what was going on behind the scenes, they kept recruiting him. And this kind of brings up the conversation and the topic of circling back on local prospects and how out of state heavy the official visits were this summer. 
and how USC really wanted to try to bring in as many guys as they could that maybe were traction guys. Uh, because we know if USC can win 10 games, okay, we'll just put that number out there because I think that's a very comfortable, confident number to say they can circle back on, I think, a multitude of local recruits that perhaps uh, they weren't recruiting as hard or they didn't get official visits from. As time goes on through that season, you build momentum, you're still going to have a shot at some of those local players, regardless of whether they're committed elsewhere or not. And this is sort of a reinforcement of that idea because Cal had Malachi Crawford committed. He was a done deal to Cal from everything that I hear. But USC, again, even though he didn't go on that official visit, never stopped recruiting him, never said, hey, you know, we're going to go in another direction, but continued to, 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 to keep their foot in the door with him and then get him back up for an unofficial visit and really sort of close the deal, which was huge because, you know, he was going, like I said before, to commit to Cal, the news of the big conference breaks, everything just sort of fell into place for USC. And it's not like maybe USC couldn't have still later in the season been able to flip that commitment, but it's so much easier to get a guy that's already, you know, committed once, get him committed, get him not thinking about recruiting so much and go and have a really good season and just put this one away. So that's what USC hopes to do at this point. That's what they have done. So draw the class right now, as I mentioned, as 14, this is just like a, a, Prediction update. You said 18. I'm feeling great at 16. How are you feeling as we move into August with 14 commitments? You still have a shot. I, I feel like I'm going to be like one short. Yeah. It that's, does that's seem like you might come point. up a little bit short. A little bit short. Um, this has been such a wild summer, though. And, <laughs> and, and not to kind of meander off topic into what else we're going to talk about, because I know. You never do that. You never do that. To talk about. Yeah, we never do that. I never do that. Um, We have Malachi Nelson to talk about and and segueing into him. But, you know, there's there's been some commitments that we thought would go elsewhere. And then there's been guys that are either committed or we thought would end up at USC that actually have gone elsewhere. It's been really hard to kind of get a sense as to whether USC is moving two steps forward and then maybe one step back or one step forward and two steps back. <laughs> That's really been the read through the summer with these commitments and these decisions. And, you know, we're just going to have to sort of wait until we get to September, you know, until we really get into the very end of August into September. And then we kind of look back and go, okay, this is what the summer was. This is the review of how things went over the summer. And now we have to look forward to with the season, what can happen? You know, what are the possibilities And I think USC fans have not been used to that. I mean, for the past six, seven years, there has not been a whole lot during the season to build on from a recruiting standpoint. Mm -hmm. So there is, you know, sort of a little bit of that remnants. And I think when fans are, are talking and they're on the board and they're kind of venting about recruiting specifically, they're still just in recent memory there's not a lot of positive that has come from the recruiting process as the season has gone, because the season has been a real sort of up and down um, roller coaster, roller coaster experience for them watching the team, even in good years, you know, where you win eight games, 
you know, you've got some games there that uh, you go, okay, you know, the team's looking good. And then they have a streak of just like looking terrible. And so that doesn't obviously help recruiting. And I don't think anybody really bought into Clay Helton from the fan base standpoint. I know there's lots of fans and, you know, on the peristyle, they're called the pumpers, the sunshine pumpers. Uh, but even then, I think that a lot of their, the, the, the position they take is, listen, I'm a Trojan fan and I'm here uh, because I love USC and I love USC football and whatever is in place, I am predisposed to root for regardless. Now that doesn't mean that I necessarily agree with the decisions that the administration has made for the leadership of the football program. That doesn't mean I like the way things are coached or this, that, and the other. It's just, I'm predisposed to say I'm a Trojan fan and I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to bad mouth the head coach or the players or anything like that. So there's sort of that um, philosophy, I think when it comes to, you know, the boards and it comes to rooting uh, the team on as a, as a fan. And then there's obviously the others that feel like, hey, man, listen, I love the team too, but I'm going to throw anybody under the bus that I don't think is qualified to be able uh, to lead the program or I don't think the program is going in the right direction. So obviously you have those factions butting heads. And that's been this sort of, uh, you know, common theme with the message boards throughout Clay Helton's tenure at USC. And, and maybe even to a lesser extent lately where everybody's just sort of kind of, um, come to grips that it's just not going to be a great season and they're going to fight to try to get to eight to nine wins. And you're kind of happy if they get to eight to nine wins, knowing in the back of your head, that's not necessarily going to move the needle with recruiting so much. If you're coming out of the summer with such and such commits and your biggest uh, official visits came during the summer and went, and those kids went elsewhere. Well, that was it. The, the story has been written. The book has been closed. There's no more to that recruitment because you're not going to do enough during the season. This year, this season for the first time is going to be a season where potentially USC can actually move the needle and do something on the field, which actually pushes them in the direction of being able to get more recruits, regardless of where they're committed. Right. Their recruiting potential is so much higher just because they still have a season. They have an easy season and they have a lot of talent. I know there's some issues they need to work out defensively, on the front, whatever. But they have the talent to play for a Pac-12 championship this year. And if that happens, and they're already they're going into this season with you know the number 11 class, or let's say they get to that that 10 spot or that nine spot, you know it's off to the races for these guys and being being able to go back to their board and reconnect with guys and go look, we were able to do this with just the transfer portal. Some of this, the stuff we just threw together over the course of six, seven months. Come join this. Come get on this now because we're we're off and running. When we got, we're gonna take over the Pac-12 for one more season after this, 2023, and then we're off to the Big Ten. So come be a part of this. So they have that extra, uh, like ace potential ace uh, uh, in their up their sleeve with putting on a really good season with all the talent they do have, uh, even though they do have some stuff to you know overcome whether that be a defense that was not very good last year uh hope there's no injuries on the offensive line they could have a really good recruiting bump uh over the next uh you know four three months well they have on paper a very competent coaching staff i mean i think that's the big difference they've had talent and this is always the time of year where we start making predictions and trying to preview what can this team do and you know for the past like three or four years you sit there and go, I mean, this is a team that should win 10 games with this schedule, 
We know the Pac-12 is not good. We know that there's going to be some games there that matchup-wise you always kind of struggle with. You know, there's certain teams that just play well against other teams, whether it be because of scheme or the coaches, what have you. But at the end of the day, you always sort of look at what USC has from a talent perspective. And even though it's diminished more recently, you still think, God, I mean, how can they not win nine or 10 games? And then they don't. And you're like, well, because of coaching. And so this is really the biggest difference is the fact that they have a coaching staff that, you know, we think is going to get more out of the talent that they have. And certainly it's an interesting year because you have such a transition with this, not coaching staff, but the roster itself. And we've never had this much turnover from a USC roster. And yes, it's talented, but it's talented with a lot of guys that weren't at USC last year. So there does have to be some chemistry. There does have to be some glue. Guys are going to have to fit their role. And the question is, are they going to want to fit the role if they're coming in as a as a transfer and you know they've got this idea like hey I'm I'm gonna come in here and I'm gonna have a big year and I'm gonna get drafted right away boom you know that's not necessarily the mentality of a championship team so during the long haul if there are some some bumps in the road you know are they going to be able to recover from that it's not necessarily hey you know if they're able to start out you know undefeated and win seven games in a row you know you, you winning makes a lot of the players happy and there's there's not as much uh bitching and whining that can go on in the depth chart when you're winning games, but you know, you have a loss here or there. That's when all of a sudden, you know, well, I'm not playing enough. You know, we would be winning if I was playing more and that becomes something that the coaching staff has to be able um, to, to, to circumvent and to navigate through because obviously, you know, that's going to deteriorate the, the locker room and the chemistry and the buy-in, et cetera. So um, these are all going to be very interesting things that we're going to have to see with this team. But yes, just looking over the horizon in terms of what the team can do and how they can sell, especially the local recruits, um, it could be something completely different. It's just something we have not seen at USC in a number of years. And I'm sure that's in the back of the minds of the coaching staff when they were making these uh, dates for official visits during the summer, you know, feeling like, hey, there's some guys that we're going to keep those bodies warm and we're going to see what happens. And if we miss out on maybe some guys from out of state that are higher on the board, we're still going to have that ability to come back and recruit some of those guys locally. We've seen that from USC in the past. Um, you know, clearly this is a different time in USC football and in college football in general. You know, the early signing period, um, the transfer portal, NIL, all these things, they obviously make things different from the Pete Carroll eras. But when USC has been rolling, uh, the feeling is that they always are going to have that ability to poach uh, some commitments away from uh, other Pac-12 schools. And so I, even though it's a new kind of era in college football, I think USC still going to have that ability. And again, I think Malachi Crawford is sort of emblematic of that. And sort of let's use that, this, this sort of this back and forth we just had about, you know, new coaching staff compared to past seasons that we've had. And this kind of term, Helton PTSD, because that's a sort of uh, theme within our next Malachi talking point, that of Malachi Nelson, as we mentioned, the five-star USC quarterback commit who, you know, was committed to Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. USC was uh, involved with him before he committed to Oklahoma, uh, made the flip when Riley came back or came over to USC. That was an easy flip. Him with Makai Lemon takes this visit to Texas A&M. 
And, you know, the Aggies have been sort of a worry point uh, for USC fans because also Zachariah Branch, the five-star wide receiver, number one receiver in the country, he also took a visit to Texas A&M, and that was a talking point on the board. And here we have another one of USC's class leaders. Probably, you know, you can look at Nelson as maybe the class leader just because of his position, quarterback. The quarterback is always sort of the face of a class, even though I would argue that Branch is sort of the, quote, lead recruiter. He's the guy who's a little bit more aggressive when it comes to recruiting. But that's a debate for another time. But Nelson goes out uh, to – crap, where's where's Texas a and I'm always blanking College on this. Station. College Station, yes. I knew it was college something, and I blanked on it. Thank you podcasting partner in crime college station went out there for their pool party event and obviously it caused a big stir over recruiting uh, nationally it kind of broke out on a friday uh, before our war room dropped we had a little more context in our war room that was obviously the big talking point and you know it's it's a sensitive topic you know everyone wants to talk about does this mean malachi nelson doesn't want to play for Lincoln Riley in USC. Is he going to flip to Jimbo on paper? USC is, is the fit. SoCal quarterback, sit behind Caleb for a year, come in and be the guy for, for the big 10 season. Lincoln Riley wanted to play for at Oklahoma Heisman trophies. It just makes sense on paper, but you know, you have this whole NIL thorn shadow not shadow cloud over a lot of recruitments these days, especially for five-star caliber players like Malachi Nelson, number one player in the ESPN rankings. He's a big time dude. So NIL is obviously going to be a factor. And obviously the Aggies have had their own allegations of NIL and all this stuff thrown at them. You know, they had the, 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 the most stacked recruiting class of all time in 2021, right when NIL was sort of, you know, still taking off and still, you know, in this process of no one knows what it really is. So all these questions kind of come up. And I know there's been a lot of rumors that that we've heard. There's been a lot of rumors on the board, on social media. There's a lot of stuff to unpack with this. But just the facts of it is, yes, USC's five-star quarterback commit did visit Texas A&M. And right now he is not doing media interviews. He has not done any interviews. He's not made any comments on that. And the only positive thing right now that's come out of these last 48 hours is there has been some social media posts from Malachi Nelson that he shared that has sort of eased the board in terms of, uh, oh, it looks like he's he's still good to go with the Trojans. But I think this is still something that we're going to have to monitor and kind of keep in the back of uh, our minds and, and USC fans' minds. Because, Gerard, you love to say, and you've said it multiple times on this podcast, where, you know, actions – are what you have to look at in recruiting. Not what people are saying in an interview, not even what people are saying off the record. It's what the actions are. Where are you taking visits? If you're saying you're not going to take any more visits, do you hold up to that? Does that actually happen? And sort of now we have to kind of look at where USC and Malachi move forward because this does sort of, the optics of it aren't that great. And now we have a lot of things to talk about and discuss about this, but Gerard, I've talked a lot about this, and I'm going to hand it off to you to kind of share what your thoughts are on this entire uh, situation. Yes. So as reported uh, last week, Malachi Nelson officially visited Texas A&M. Excuse me. Excuse me. 
unofficially visited. He officially unofficially visited. <laughs> he unofficially visited Texas A&M. Texas A&M actually had some official visits scheduled for that week, as did Ohio State and a few other schools. But the NCAA said, no, you can't bring in official visitors, but you can have unofficial visitors on campus. So sort of a strange thing, you know, where we were looking at this as we were getting into June. Is there going to actually be another official visit weekend that schools are going to be able to slide in official visits in July? Because that's going to be an interesting thing. Uh, so that was basically canceled across the board. So Malachi came in unofficially. And he came in for their big pool party weekend, which is a weekend where they built a lot of their recruiting momentum, the Aggies, last season. Their number one class sort of got going from that pool party. Now, as we talked about, there's been a lot of controversy around collectives. And when it comes to NIL, and branding corporate sponsorship versus a group of boosters pooling money together to try to induce a recruit to commit to a certain school. Now, I talked about this a bit in the war room as it relates to Malachi Nelson and just recruiting in general, because you know certainly all of these top 100 recruits are going to have that opportunity to potentially be approached by both sides of the NIL coin, if you will. Okay, this certainly has to be included with that conversation because Texas A&M has been one of those schools at the forefront when it comes to collective recruiting. And there have been some allegations made out there. You know, Nick Saban had his famous little diatribe that he went on about Texas A&M and their recruiting class and them damn Aggies. I think it's important to sort of break down, not the allegations and the gossip of what people are doing, but I think what I'm seeing, what I'm beginning to see is a breakdown of upfront money versus getting endorsements post signing day. This is sort of where we're starting to see a little bit of a crease in the conversation with NIL and what kids are looking for and what they're hearing through this process where some schools, and this is mostly through collectives, are being guaranteed money before they sign, as opposed to all of those guarantees being once you sign. Now, Mm -hmm. it's a very interesting conversation. And there's a lot of nuance to this. And certainly I'm only comfortable talking about so much of it because this, these are private entities that we're talking about with collectives. These are donors and this is private sector money. This is not very transparent. We're not going to find a whole lot out about financial deals and number amounts have been thrown out there all over the place. And they've been thrown out to me about, Oh, this kid's getting this much. And this is how much this kid wants. And there have been sources that said, listen, don't 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 really pay attention to a lot of that because there's a lot of fake numbers being leaked by lawyers and agents and family members and people because they're trying to jack up the price for something that not a lot of people really have a grip over what the market is actually paying realistically. There's still a lot of, you know, 
all over the place sort of numbers because you don't have a lot of communication between these entities. So, you know, people are looking to maybe take advantage of the situation and maybe some booster comes along and, and, and wants to overpay and jack up the, the price at a certain position for a certain player. So there's a lot of maneuvering going on right now with college football. And we've heard it from everywhere. We've heard it from the coaching side. It's a mess. It's a, it's a free-for-all. We've heard it from the recruiting side. It's like the wild, wild west. And so you have a lot of different entities that are involved in this. And like I said, not all are going to be on the up and up. You know, obviously this sort of thing sort of attracts people that want to sort of find a way to be able to, to, to get, you know, rich quick uh, out of a certain situation like this. And I'm sure the longer this goes, the better the potential that something like that happens. You know, you start to get con men and you get people in here that are professional uh, at doing this type of thing. And, and they're going to try to make themselves some money. We see that in so many of these different situations. So right. hopefully that's not the case. And there's not a bunch of, you know, really bad news stories that come from this where people are getting taken advantage of, but nevertheless, uh, there's a lot of moving parts with this. And I think that's the biggest question with all of this. Again, what we're seeing now is upfront money versus what players are going to be paid when they get to that college. Now, to be clear, some states allow high school players and athletes to receive NIL money. So this is not illegal in terms of them getting paid in high school, not illegal whatsoever. Again, it's all about inducement and how you improve inducement. If you're the NCAA, that's another can of worms. But obviously one side is you've got to go to this school and we'll give you money now, and then we'll give you money later. Now, to me, as I just am trying to sort this all out, and I understand because I, you know, I've written about it with it when it came to the the bill itself in California, and I've written about it in the war room, and I understand that this conversation kind of goes over a lot of people's heads right now. They're just not really understanding it. We're still dealing with, you know, college football fans, which are used to the amateur model of how players commit and go to places. And, and obviously we, we're not going to be naive and say, oh, well, you know, no player's ever been paid anything to go to a college. But at the same time, <laughs> now you're at this different level, this different intensity of it. And the whole have, new ball game. Yeah, it's it's a little it's a new ball game. And you have new players involved as well as some of the old players. But the the nuance between this upfront money and and being paid as a player at the college is, is obviously a bit different. And so there are some allegations and some things being thrown around now where you're starting to see, well, these players are going to this school because they've been given some money to commit to that school. Now, to me, when I take a step back, and again, I've said this before, I'm no business guru, but I don't understand how those type of deals can be binding in any way. Because if you are trying to set up some type of contract for a verbal commitment, that leaves a paper trail or perhaps a digital footprint right. that if there is any issue with that contract, let's say uh, Joe Blow, five-star off to tackle, decides he's going to commit to a school. Because that school says we're going to give you, and we'll just say, you know, just the number, $500,000, you can relocate your family 
to where you're going to go to college and you're going to get that money on a verbal commitment. So he's like, well, hey, man, I'm going to take that, you know, take the money now. So takes that money, commits that school. But somewhere along the line, another school comes along a little later in the year and says, hey, man, we're going to give you a million dollars. And all that stuff about relocating family, whatever, it's all good. We'll, we'll help you out with that, too. And this kid wants to go to this school more. He says, you know, I actually like this school better. So there's no reason now. Okay, this, it's not close. We're not talking about, you know, a thousand extra dollars or whatever. It's, it's sort of like, hey, man, I like this school better. They're going to give me more money. I'm going to go here. So he breaks that agreement. He has a contract, which, you know, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. You would think there would be some type of written contract involved. So, okay, what is the collective to do now? Are they to go to court and sue this recruit and his family? That would bring all of these financial details to light. And if it was written in such a way that he has to commit to this school to get that $500,000, that would be inducement. That would do that. The collective basically telling on itself and telling on the school that they're represented. So when everybody's all wrapped up with this, well, this kid is committed here and this kid's going there. And yeah, there's some upfront, upfront money involved. They can't just give the money back. I say, I don't know that they need to give the money back. I mean, I don't know that these kids wouldn't say kick rocks to the collective and just go to whatever school they want to on signing day based on whether it be financial or for other reasons, regardless of whatever agreement and clauses were involved in the prior arrangement where they got money. So I'm just interested to see how this plays out over the next couple of years. Is the NCAA going to get involved? Uh, are there going to be issues? Uh, we still have a lot of questions over the Quinn Ears commitment and enrollment at Ohio State. Now, that seemed to be all based on post-enrollment. So we're not talking about upfront money here. But nevertheless, the fact that, you know, he was there for, you know, three months or whatever he was there for and, you know, probably got paid something and then ended up going to Texas and, and getting a new NIL deal. Um, again, these are private matters, you know, with private individuals. There's not a lot of transparency there. So it's hard to know sort of where the money went and when it went and if there was money given back and, and how that all worked out. But nevertheless, Ohio state is another school that's being talked about as a sort of, you know, they have NIL deals lined up. If you enroll, we've seen some Ohio state fans and some other things come out because they've kind of hit a, a dry streak here with commitments over the summer. And so there's been some controversy there. And it does make you wonder if they didn't learn their lesson the hard way with Quinn Ears. And I think that's part of this is that people can say, well, he got this money. He's committed to this school. He's off the board completely. There's no way Joe Blow five-star off the tackle is going to reconsider because they gave him a bunch of money up front. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I just, again, I don't know what the collective or, or, or what any entity that gives kids money up front can really do because if they sue and they want that money back because that contract or that agreement is broken i mean they're basically just telling on themselves so it's a very interesting thing and for those who follow along uh and remember the jay toya situation there's some correlation with that as well which i think usc maybe learned a lesson in terms of 
uh, how a kid can commit, enroll, play spring football, but because there are other arrangements that were in place before he actually enrolled and he was just to commit, it can still affect those players even when they're in the college and they can end up somewhere else. And so I think, you know, all of this talk again, you know, we're like, well, what's happening as we get out of summer and traditionally with the early signing period, there's not a whole lot of turnover with commitments um, during the season, maybe later in the season. But I feel like now that you have not just Texas A&M, that's been very aggressive from a collective recruiting standpoint, but Miami, Louisville, Tennessee, Oregon, all of these schools, you know, you see much more schools come to the table now with these collectives and their recruitments. Uh, it may be even more of a chaotic sort of situation as we get later in the year. And, and again, you have a lot of schools that are sort of sitting on the sideline right now, USC being included, that rather be safe than sorry. And they've been like kind of waiting to see how things fall out. And, and you know, Alabama has been like that to some extent, you know, they've gotten some recruits they've gotten some commits, but a lot of people behind the scenes are saying, well, Alabama isn't really paying anybody anything until they go and they enroll. And so that's why you haven't seen them be so is quite as active as maybe a Tennessee or an Oregon or some of these other schools that have obviously had a harder streak in the off season. So, you know, again, a, a lot of allegations, a lot of stuff that, that, you know, no one is, is really, really stepping up to the table to prove, but the fallout of it, whether it be, you know, in the near future or later down the line, this is all going to shape recruiting going forward. And it's very interesting to see and watch. We're in the middle of it. It's like, you know, being in the middle of a, a kind of a cresting wave, you know, we really can't tell you how the ride was until, you know, we see the whitewater and that, I, I don't know when that whitewater is going to come at this point. Right. And you, you made the point of just how some schools are kind of, on the side kind of waiting to see what happens kind of USC in is, is part of that kind of trying to figure out which direction things are going to go. Lincoln Riley at Pac-12 media day was actually asked uh, by one of our reporters, actually uh, RJ Abadia asked about uh, you know, he made some comments uh, Riley did about NIL earlier in spring and its place in recruiting and how it doesn't need to have a place in recruiting. And he asked a follow-up from, from several months ago, where has has Lincoln Riley seen a direct impact of NIL and recruitments as he's feared, you know, wins or losses? And obviously he can't name names, but he went into this whole spiel about it. Um, and I just want to read you sort of the key part of that quote um, where it's kind of like they are. He basically said, we're kind of waiting to see which direction it's going to go. Um, and here's part of the quote. Uh, and I quote, as it's evolved, I think that we've seen. As a lot of coaches have said, we have rules that are not being enforced. One of two things is going to happen. We're either going to start enforcing the rules that are there or we're going to create new rules. I don't know which one is going to happen. I can't predict that. One of the two will happen and needs to happen. When it does, the thing I like about our position is if collectives and donor-based funding and all that becomes part of the future and the norm, I'm very confident in the people that we have, the resources that we have, that USC will be in prime position. And if it does it and it becomes more traditional marketing and endorsement deals, would you rather be anywhere than sitting right here in the middle of Southern California in Los Angeles? So, you know, he kind of gave that little pitch where, you know, USC can pivot either way. We're good to go. 
but it sort of you know clarifies the fact that USC definitely is sort of in the middle trying to figure out what it's going to look like over the next several months, several years, or what have you as they move forward into you know the Big Ten when these mega mega conferences are starting to to, to get formed, and it's it's just definitely a different. It's definitely a difficult thing to kind of see and look that far ahead and see what the NCAA ends up doing. But as you see, USC, you know, maybe they will be a sort of collective donor-based system, as he mentioned, if that's what the NCAA is going to allow, and that's what the kind of rules open for that. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, how that moves forward. Gerard, is there anything from that quote that you kind of perk up about or catches your catches your attention? No, I, I think he's just, you know, speaking in, in a very sort of vague general sense of what we're seeing, you know, what, yeah. what the evolution is. And, you know, early on, we've sort of talked about the difference. And I've tried to illustrate and give as many examples as possible of the difference between the collective and the corporate sponsored NIL. Because that, I think, the former rather than, or I should say, the latter rather than the former is what the NCAA really wants to see blossom. And that's a little bit more above board when you have actual companies uh, that are endorsing these young athletes and giving them an opportunity to make money off their name, image, and likeness, and not just making money that is performance-based. Okay, so that's the, the big difference between what NIL is supposed to be and potentially what NIL becomes. Uh, this is not the NFL, and this is not pro football, and I think that most parties don't want it to become that, mm -hmm. uh, but obviously if it was regulated like that, it would be much easier. You know, if you actually had just a single entity that called the shots and said, hey, this is how things are going to go. You want to play here? This is how it goes. That's not true of college football. You have a lot of different opinions. You have a lot of different uh, political views. You have a lot of different bureaucracies that involve with these universities. And so, you know, whether you're state run university or a private run university, uh, it's hard to get everybody on the same page with things. And so there's a struggle there, you know, when it comes to financials, when you're talking about money and money, uh, you know, cynically people say is the root of all evil, but it does create a lot of issues um, because everybody wants to get their fair share. And so, you know, we're going to see what propels college football here going forward. There are the schools that I think it's kind of showing through. Uh, the old guard of, you know, how schools recruited in the past. And that's how they see how they should recruit in the future. So if they had a very uh, booster based uh, recruiting um, approach in the past, we'll, we'll call it that. <laughs> um, maybe, you know, that's a little bit of a euphemism, uh, a, a booster based uh, driven <laughs> recruiting approach. Um, that's what baby. they want to use now. That, that's what they want to use now. They want to use a collective. You know, they, that's what they want to propel uh, their recruiting with, uh, as opposed to maybe schools that feel like they um, can uh, allow others to basically control that process to some extent. And certainly, you know, as Lincoln Riley said, USC is in a really good position in terms of being able to uh, go with 
you know, corporate sponsorships and, and have, you know, a lot of different companies, you're in the media capital of the world, um, you're going to have a lot of opportunities for those players. Now, for high school players, maybe less so um, because, you know, uh, big name sponsors and brands uh, are, are not going to spend a whole lot of money if they don't right. feel like it really moves the needle. Now, you know, social media to some extent, I mean, you did some reporting on uh, Bunchy, uh, our, our favorite TikTok star, and how, you know, he had a bunch of followers, this, that, and the other. And you can talk to that more than me because you're obviously um, on there. I'm not. But that's something that sometimes grabs the, the attention of a, of a corporate sponsor. You know, sometimes um, social media, uh, you're just getting eyes as a personality. You draw in uh, sponsorship dollars because, you know, they want you to wear their shirt. They want you to wear their watch. They want you to wear their shoes. Uh, they want you to, you know, eat their hamburgers, whatever the case may be. And if they think that you're popular and other people are going to watch you, then that's a great way to make money. And, and, and that's that's even at a high school level. So that exists still, but it's probably fewer and farther between just because those types of um, situations don't come up very often. And then there's obviously very, you know, there's a lot of questions as to, you know, with social media, what, what's what's the reality of the follower base? And you know, there's been a lot of allegations with Twitter um, and, and, you know, TikTok obviously could get banned at any point. So that's that's certainly not um, as uh, consistent and as solid as, you know getting the sponsorship from a Disney or a Nike or a, you know, Yahoo or whatever it is, um, that's going to be a, a bit more consistent. And I think that's what the universities and the NCAA are more comfortable with um, than just private entities coming together and saying, hey, we want to give you money to go to a certain school. Um, that becomes, um, again, that becomes more of a professional model. And yet you don't have that professional regulation because you have all these different ideas of how things should be done. Because again, it's, it's, it's not a league, it's just college football. And there's just a bunch of different schools with a bunch of different agendas uh, and a bunch of different people running those schools going every which direction. Right. And then just the bunchy thing, that's sort of just like bunchy is like one of those sort of rare uh, people. I mean, he's a kid, but so rare kid that just has, this brand already built into their to their career. He hasn't even played a snap of high school football, and he's got a you know Snapchat uh, show. He's got this like little viral show on TikTok, and obviously that started when he was going viral as a kid in his Pop Warner youth days, and that's sort of how he got on the map. Got got uh, commercials, you know, and all that sort of things at the Super Bowl, and that TikTok I put up of him did half a million views uh, just because people knew on that platform who he was. And that's sort of a hyper example because obviously there's not, you know, 30,000 bunchies running around. There's only one uh, that's a specific example. But I think the, the lesson still applies that you can still have a brand um, when you're in high school and you can kind of build it. Even if it's sort of like a niche thing, you can have your own little pocket of an audience and I think that's really the only thing that maybe a a brand or a company is looking for in terms of this person has this type of audience and this is the type of audience we would like to tap into. And I think they can help us do that. So can you I know explain that, the, can you explain to the boomers who Bunchy actually is as a as a as a player? Because OK, yeah. So 
I don't actually know what his first name is, but it's this individual, this kid. He is, I believe he's a ninth grader, Bunchy Young. Uh, he is a local, you know, uh, youth guy, uh, played football. I don't know if he played for the Ducks or whatever, but, you know, just a youth guy who went viral on YouTube. You know, those sort of uh, under the radar clips, you know, you see them maybe on YouTube. Just a guy who, a, a, a Pop Warner football legend, you know, for, for doing all these crazy things. There's always that one kid, Gerard. We've there's seen always, it all the like, time. There's always know. that one kid who's just like, just a man among little tykes and just looks like a high schooler playing with these little people, little, little children who can't tackle or don't know how to cut or whatever. And there's just one kid who's freaking Reggie Bush out there. That's Brunchy Young. And that's sort of where he got his start. And then he was in a Super Bowl commercial, you know, with uh, uh, who's the receiver for formerly with the Giants, with the Browns, uh, Odell Beckham. He was in a commercial with Oda Beckham. So, and now he has on Snapchat. I don't know if, if you don't know what Snapchat is. It's just a social media where he's got his own little show where he does these like little two minute episodes or whatever. So he's he's known, and he was at the USC camp, and I recognized him. You know, that's the power of his brand. You know, I recognize him. I know who this person is, and I put it up, and it went viral a little bit, and all these people were, you know, wasn't all great comments. They were arguing about oh. He's too small. He's not even in high school yet. What are you talking about? He needs to work on this. It was just like 30 seconds of him running warmups in like a couple of uh, one-on-one routes. But that's someone who's known and that's someone who, you know, is recognizable to an extent, you know, especially in a football crowd. Maybe not to the the boomer crowd, Gerard, as you like to put it. But, you know, it's just this kid who got lucky and he's got an audience. And, you know, there's a bunch of kids that are trying to do that. Uh, right now and it's all about building an audience whether that's on tiktok or instagram or anything like that as long as you have an audience you are a marketable asset uh, for these companies and these brands yeah and so i apologize if we're out in the weeds for some of you with this conversation this is a sort of on the cusp conversation about recruiting it's a cold open it goes anywhere this is this is sort of the hardcore stuff, you know. I I realize some of the casuals are like, I what are they even talking about? I just want to know is Malachi Nelson going to stay committed to USC or not? <laughs> and these guys are talking about Bunchy Young, who's not even in high school, and we don't even know the kid's real name. Which you know what? Congratulations, Chris. I'm actually I'm glad to hear that you don't know as much about Bunchy Young as I thought you did because he's in ninth grade. Okay, like right. we shouldn't know. He's that thirteen. Much about him. His, his real name down. might his real name might be Bunchy for all I know. Probably not, but nevertheless, um, this is sort of the evolution of college football, like it or not, and it will continue to evolve. But this is sort of the seeds that are being sown, and we're seeing what what you know what beanstalk grows faster here. You know, is it going to be just the the boosters and the people that have a, an agenda for paying athletes to go to a specific school? Or is it going to be more of a corporate deal where, you know, there's there's some uh, interest from the corporations as to where you go. I'm sure that um, we'll take Malachi Nelson, for example. Malachi Nelson is represented by one of the biggest talent agencies in the country. Okay, I'm I'm not going to say which one. I don't think it's my place to. But I know the agents that represent him. He is not coming from this as a. Yeah, I'm going to go visit Texas A&M 
with my dad and uh, we'll just kind of see how it goes. Okay. He's very thoughtful. His family's very thoughtful and they understand the optics of this. So with that said, he's got a team around him. Okay. This is sort of like the Caleb Williams situation. And I'm sure he's taken some, some notes from Caleb as to, you know, building a team around him, agents, lawyers. And so you have a brand of sorts and you don't make moves as a brand, just willy nilly, you know, right. they, they, they mean something calculated. And so I think, in the future with some of these high level five-star guys, okay, we're not just talking about type one top 100. Now we're talking about, you know, the, the sort of uh, benchmark recruits um, that come each year for each of these classes. Uh, it, there's going to be a conversation when it comes to a commitment that goes deeper than, Hey mom, what do you think about this school? Well, I like the academics of this school more and it's close to home and we like the coaches, you know, there's going to be certain of like, Okay, you've got a brand coming out of high school. What can this college do for that brand? And, you know, with the Boulevard conversation and the state down to conversation, because obviously that enters um, the, the discussion as well in terms of how USC is approaching things now. You know, Malachi Nelson has an agency backing him and representing him. So the aspects of branding and building a brand that a Boulevard offers some of these kids that's great for some of these kids you know i can see for Turk, uh for tackett curtis um for uh you know maybe you know some of the guys that are that are, that are that are not as known grant bucky that's really important for them you know boulevard from their ability to build the brand is really important in college but for a guy like Melikai nelson he's kind of already got a brand that's built and he's got a team of people that will continue to help him that he's actually involved with personally that will help him build a brand. So there's a redundancy there. So he's not so interested in, hey, how can this college help me from that standpoint? He's going to help himself. You know, he's going to make sure that he's taken care of from that uh, that standpoint, that image standpoint, um, building a brand. So these are all things that are that are sort of happening and evolving in college football. And you would have to think, just going back to what Lincoln Riley said, that USC is in a very good position in in both cases. I cannot speak so much for the, you know, potential of what USC would be able to do with a collective. You know, if they, if they had a bunch of real estate people and some, 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 uh, you know, construction people and what have you um, that were there that normally give money to the school one way if they just got together and elected, um, you know, someone of that group, sort of like a board of trustees to, to run the group, I, I don't know how effective they would be versus, you know, what Texas A&M is doing or what Oregon is doing or what Miami is doing. I, I can't say that. You know, Miami obviously has uh, one booster that's very uh, involved and, and sort of leading the way, a, a, a billionaire. Um, whose uh, first name escapes me, his last name is Ruiz, who's been very outspoken about NIL and about how it's going to impact recruiting. And we've seen that with Miami. We've seen them, um, despite uh, a new coaching staff and very mediocre results in the recent past, have an incredible recruiting class and an incredible recruiting push right now. Um, They're kind of doing what Texas A&M did last year. And like I said, I think it was last week, you know, Texas A&M sort of got ahead 
of the pack. They were a little more aggressive than others. And so they kind of, they were, you know, maybe in some cases a little reckless with how they did the collective and they were able to get out there and, and put together a, an amazing class. And it came with some allegations and, it, and obviously there's going to be some questions. And, and if the NCAA comes back and starts to look over things, you know, perhaps that becomes an issue, but they felt comfortable with what they were doing and they went out there and they were aggressive in doing it. It was sort of uh, better to, uh, you know, <laughs> beg for forgiveness and ask for permission, I guess. Um, is sort of their approach. But now you have, you know, several schools doing that. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. Could Texas A&M still have the same success when you got a bunch of other schools basically taking their formula and doing the same thing they did? And is that going to become the status quo? Or is USC going to be served right at some of these other schools that have said, okay, you know what? We're not going to be that aggressive. Uh, we're going to see what the NCAA does here over the next year or so, maybe in the next two years. And then we're going to make that decision. But you're you're the longer it goes where these schools are having success being aggressive with collectives, the more schools you're going to see get involved with it. You know, the more schools you say, we're not going to get caught from behind again. We're not going to just let these schools go ahead and and pay these kids up front and get all these great commitments. And we're going to be sitting here losing out on on players like that. We, we have to be competitive. So the longer the NCAA drags its feet with making a determination as to whether they're going to keep their current rules or make new rules, you're going to see, you know, more and more schools get involved. And then it's going to become harder and harder to actually retroactively go back and say, okay, we're going to, you know, investigate and we're actually going to penalize schools that did things that weren't within the rules. Because, you know, you can only, you can't, you know, penalize uh, the whole country um, if you've got, you know, a majority of the, the top programs all doing the same thing. So I guess overall what we're saying Gerard to USC fans in this Malachi Nelson visit is it USC cannot simply ignore it. No, and they're not ignoring it. And like you said, we've seen some positive uh, reaction um, social media wise from Malachi Nelson. Share some posts. I think it was certainly a positive that Zachariah Branch did not go there for an unofficial visit for the pool party. He took an official visit earlier in the summer to Texas A&M. So he got to see plenty and decided not to make that follow-up visit, even though Malachi Nelson was going there. Malachi Lemon, Malachi Nelson's uh, teammate, also was not on that visit with Malachi Nelson. So it was just Malachi going down there. And, you know, right now when you look at uh, Texas A&M's recruiting board, uh, all of their top guys are all committed elsewhere. Uh, they've, they've, they've missed on um, just about every player – uh, at the quarterback position that they've recruited this year. And so Dante Moore was a guy. Uh, Jaden Rashada is a guy that they went after hard. And the one player right now that they've been involved with, which a lot of people thought would end up at Texas A&M, is Austin Novosad. Austin Novosad is a 6'3", 185-pound quarterback um, from Dripping Springs, Texas. I'm not really sure where that is. But he's committed to Baylor right now. and so. There's been a lot of, you know, talk like, okay, Texas a and is just going to wait and they're going to try to flip somebody. And a lot of people thought that was the quarterback that they're going to flip. Now, recently, um, Novosad said that he's, you know, 100% committed. This is home. He's made some social media posts to suggest that he's not looking to decommit from Baylor. So we're going to have to see, you know, how this goes on. Is, is Texas A&M just going to get more and more aggressive? Is there going to be more 
uh, involvement from collectives. Um, certainly there have been people close to Malachi that have given me the, 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 the indication that, you know, that's a, that's definitely part of this process for him. And, uh, again, it's not about brand, brand building. It's more about, you know, what's, what, what's going to be, um, financially, uh, the best move for him as well. And so, uh, we're just going to see how this all plays out. It, it, again, it's one of those things that, I think a lot of families and the players, they're also uncomfortable with talking about it because no one wants to say, hey, I'm going to this school because they're paying me more. Too many college football fans are used to the amateurism model, and they're just, it's just not a palatable co- concept for them at this point. And, and it, while it, if it was really truly a professional league, wouldn't be having we, nobody would be questioning this this wouldn't be like oh well you know it's not really about money it's not really about the it's all oh, yeah you know he just likes this coach better or you know this is they got this academic program that they have here for the major is is more attractive it just be like hey he's going to the 49ers because 49ers are going to pay him two more and more dollars uh you know <laughs> the contract just looked better but we're not at that point right now um from uh from a from an optic standpoint for these athletes, you know, it's still sort of a lot of like, nobody really wants to kind of talk about that situation. And even when you've had situations like, uh, Nico, Iamaivea when he committed to Tennessee, and then there was an athletic article that followed that said he was getting $8 million to go to Tennessee. I mean, a lot of the sources that are very close to Nico shot all that down said, first of all, it, it wasn't about the money. Okay. Which, you know, that that definitely brings some some cynical sort of eye rolls from some people, um, but also saying it wasn't nearly that much. And again, the money uh, dollar amount that's being thrown around uh, for these deals is is completely nonsense. And it's it's coming from you know the people that are just trying to drum up um, how much guys are getting paid. Um, whether that's true or not, again, it, you know, there's obviously some financial deals that are in place here, and. But we're just not at a point right now uh, that I think people are are super comfortable with talking about that aspect. So that's a whole nother part of it that we're dealing with is is the fact not only is it, you know, private individuals uh, that are doing these financial deals that are involved with these collectives. um, But, you know, it's sort of I don't want to say stigma, but it's just sort of like college football fans are used to kids going to schools for wholesome reasons like hey i really liked you know the coaching staff and had a great relationship hey you know what i felt like i could be a starter you know even the depth chart conversation is often avoided by recruits they don't want to say hey i went to this school because i'd have a a clear easy shot at going and and starting at that position why because they don't want to look like they avoided the competition at other schools okay so it's all it's all optics um but the, the reasons oh, I like the academics there more and, and why that's a big issue with, with college football fans is going to continue to be an issue. I, I, it's not just because NIL is new. It's also because you, if you went to that college, USC fan, and you're an alum, you freaking paid through the nose to go to USC. And that was a privilege for you to go to USC. That was a big deal when you got that letter that said you were admitted to USC. So to hear somebody's having to be paid millions of dollars to go to USC over, you know, a school that academically the reputation is in the toilet or, or what have you, you know, and, 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 you know, that, that, that's all a matter of, you know, it's the, the subjective. 
Um, but you know, it's like, Hey, you know, you could go to this school that, and the tuition is, you know, it's $2,600 a semester or whatever compared to USC, which is 50,000. That's sort of, you know, insulting to a, a person that's an alum of the university of Southern California. It's like, what you're, you're picking that school over USC. Are you crazy? And then it has to be about money or, well, you got this kid away from that university that academically uh, is not as prestigious and you're going to USC, but you're only going to USC because you got paid more is the sort of, you know, that's, that's sort of hard for, I think, college football fans to swallow, whether it's USC or Stanford or, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those institutions, Notre Dame that academically um, is prestigious and it costs a lot of money to go there, which those things usually go hand in hand. Um, in fact, they always go hand in hand. Um, that's, that's going to be difficult when you have other schools out there uh, that are not of that same level and you're fighting them for recruits. And it really doesn't come down to academics. It doesn't come down to anything, but you know, how much more am I going to get paid? What, what could be uh, the money that I could get to go to this school? That's just hard for, I think, um, the college football fan base as a whole. Well, I shouldn't say as a whole, it's for, it's for those fans from those schools, mostly, you know, the Michigans and other names, USC's, the Stanford's, so on and so forth, um, to, to really swallow. And, it, and I just don't know how people are kind of going to get around that fact. Um, this is not the NFL. This is not just your local team that you root for because you live in Los Angeles and, you know, they're the Los Angeles Rams. This is that's com it's completely different. The emotional investment in these schools is completely different animal than you have with the NFL. I think that's a good place to end the cold opening because we've said a lot of things, talked a lot. I think that's a lot to digest for anyone sort of uh, listening to this uh, podcast. Um, so, Gerard, is there anything else you want to say or just I feel like I'm opening Pandora's box by saying that. But before we kind of move <laughs> on, anyone who's just new to following recruiting, the the oh Lincoln Riley's the coach at, at USC. Oh, oh, he's pretty good. I'm going to start following USC. What's this stuff about recruiting? Like who they're going to get next? Anybody who's 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 listening with that uh, frame of reference is, is turned off the podcast at this point. They're going, I, I this I don't know what they're talking about at this point. Um, but yeah, that it, it's complicated, man. We're, we're in the middle of this flux and we're just kind of trying to sort out, you know, what it all means and, and sort of what the end game is going to be. And some of this is just sort of, you know, talking about it and thinking through it as we're reporting it, you know? So mm -hmm. that's, uh, sort of where we're at with things right now, but, um, hopefully for the, for the folks that are really into recruiting and hardcore and understand the ebb and flow of, of all this stuff, um, can um, you know sort of appreciate the conversation because uh, we're trying to give some insight as well as you know entertain and just you know tell you about you know what's 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 happening next. Um, this is sort of the bigger picture type of stuff. Absolutely, and I'm sure there are some some hardcore junkies in here who are just love the uh, pure, unfiltered sort of uh, hurricane takes on NIL and sort of uh, this further context. But trust me, they're to, to some extent. I mean, <laughs> okay, that's true. That's true. <laughs> unfiltered uh, to some extent um yes uh, it's not sort of can't just say anything on this podcast uh without checking and, and and doing some of that stuff but let's get through two more sort of recruiting bigger recruiting notes uh then we'll take a break and get through some other stuff but the other big sort of commitment kind of news was with usc's uh 
safety commit, Braxton Myers, who we mentioned, you know, we're talking about Malachi Crawford and part of that DB class. There was some smoke or, you know, about him maybe possibly flipping to Ole Miss after he picked up some pretty big uh, crystal balls. I believe Greg Biggins and both Steve Wilfong put in Ole Miss crystal balls for Braxton, you know, the four-star safety out of Texas who's been committed to USC since his official visit or was that before that? That was before that. He committed to me. Right. Okay. He was a commit on the visit. Yes. So he, he, he was a long, he's been a long time commitment uh, for this, uh, this 2023 class was a recruiting guy uh, during that big recruiting official visit weekend. So he's been pretty locked in. So this was sort of a kind of surprise to see, but now maybe that smoke is dying a little bit recently in the last of uh, 24 hours. Uh, Braxton did post on his Instagram, kind of shared a story tagging Zach branch of them, sort of all those guys hanging out from their official visit weekend, you know, kind of uh, kind of insinuating, you know, that he's, you know, locked in with these guys. You know, he tweeted gang for real uh, fight on sign with Zach Branch. So seems like maybe a little bit of a scare there that maybe he's not going to come to fruition with, uh, you know, him going to the rebels. But seems like USC has sort of uh, squashed that potential flip, if you will. Yeah, I, I don't know the whole story behind it. I think that there was just some smoke coming from Ole Miss and, you know, maybe their coaching staff had, had talked to him and, you know, there was uh, a feeling like maybe he could, you know, make a flip. But, I, again, I think we're going back a little bit to Helton PTSD with some of this stuff and the sort of ner- knee-jerk reaction of, of what's happening. Um, you know, behind the scenes, again, you know, USC is uh, – is working and sort of developing a, a little bit of a formula as to how they want to approach the recruiting process. This is a new staff at USC and it's a staff that is uh, in the middle of this, you know, crazy NIL storm. Um, and um, again, to use the wave analogy, it's just, you know, cresting and uh, we just don't know exactly where it's going to go at this point. So um, yeah, I, I think, you know, for us, it, it didn't move the needle a whole lot for me when I heard about it. Um, yeah. from the sources that I heard about it from. Uh, but it's just one of those things also where you, you have to take a step back. And this, you know, even goes with Malachi Nelson and him visiting Texas A&M. You know, everybody just wants to sort of jump ahead to the end. You know, let's just skip forward to, oh, my God, he decommitted and USC's recruiting class is falling apart. Or, oh, my God, he's going there and he's just recruiting for USC. It's, uh, he, you know, he, he's just getting a bunch of good, you know, recruits. Um, to come to USC with them. It's it's just one of those things where you go, you know, let's just wait and see how some of this plays out. And and this is, I think, why Nelson not talking to the media this week is a good thing. Um, I posted a little something on there, um, and I can't even remember what I posted, just uh, talking about um, we were going to go down to practice and we were going to talk to, to Nelson. And... Um, You know, I was told, hey, you know what, he's going to take some time after this visit to talk with his family and just, you know, just just, you know, where he stands with USC as much as, you know, what he experienced on uh, the visit to Texas A&M. And and I I can respect that because people read into my post, which was like, I think, one sentence into, oh, my God, he's decommitting. Oh, my God, he's he's solid. And I mean, people had completely different reads on that one post from one spectrum to the other. So 
you know, certainly you have to kind of choose your words carefully uh, when, when people are going to read so much into them. And so, you know, he's going to take his time with this. And, and, and I, again, it's one of those things where, you know, you just try to take a step back and let things sort of fall into place before, you know, jumping on every little word or every little, you know, emote or little, little Instagram um, that comes on and, uh, and, and trying to make, you know, build some type of narrative from it. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're just kind of, you know, negotiating the wave still and seeing uh, how everything plays out with, with both of these players. Um, but it kind of feels like, you know, USC momentum wise is still shifting in a, in a, in a good place. You know, obviously, like we said before, it's kind of hard, you know, you, I mean, at the same time this past weekend, there was some talk like, Hey, you know what? Um, there's a good chance, uh, Mateo Ngulele ends up at Ohio state. Now that's coming from Ohio state people that's coming from that end of the country. Um, but there's confidence there that, uh, that they, that they made a move with, uh, Mateo Ngulele, you know, it'd be crazy to see USC get, you know, Braylon Shelby, uh, the, the defensive end, um, recruit from Texas, four-star who officially visited USC. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, his last official visit was to Texas. So, you know, a lot of us feel like, okay, you know, Texas has definitely got the last say. It's probably going to go to Texas. But USC at least came out of their visit with a lead. And, you know, and it's like, uh, but but they're going to lose Ungale? It's it's really hard to to figure out, you know, all this and, and how it, it really plays out. But that's why you just don't get sucked up into every single little thing that happens. And you have to take a step back at certain points and let those things happen and then try to analyze them. And I think you bring more insight and more sincerity to trying to cover the process than just jumping around and, you know, oh, this guy's going here. Oh, no, he's going there. Oh, he's going here. Oh, this guy. You know, it's just it, it gets a little crazy. And I don't think it, it, it really helps people um, who are seriously just trying to follow along and trying to get an idea as to, you know, how USC football recruiting is really going. And that's a nice little segue into our final topic before the break. And someone you just mentioned, Braylon Shelby, four-star edge rusher, edge rusher. I see, keep saying rudder, edge rusher out of Friendswood, Friendswood, Texas. Uh, recently became a consensus four-star prospect. He was a three-star prospect when USC offered him. Recently, take, taking some big jumps in the rankings, uh, number one fifty-six in the twenty-four-seven sports rankings, up from not ranked in the top twenty-four-seven. So nice jump for him but he's making his commitment uh on the 24 7 sports youtube channel so you can check that out it's between texas and usc his final two and this was a guy i talked to after his official visit and you know i felt pretty confident that usc was the leader but you still had that longhorns visit the home state uh getting their shot at him final official visit as you mentioned and but i think it was also sort of maybe a positive sign that the Longhorns didn't close. You know, they're, it's good to have the last visit, uh, but sometimes there's a, obviously the, the pressure on you to to close on that visit. And I think that was Texas's opportunity to close. They got the final one after a really good USC visit and didn't commit. And that's obviously a good sign for USC. Uh, you know, Arch Manning, they had a lot of momentum with getting the number one player in the in the rankings, I know Gerard is shuddering at me saying that 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 statement, but they got him. You know that would have been a time to ride the momentum, maybe jump on the Manning train with the Texas commitments. But no, Shelby stayed packed. You know, cut it down to two. 
decided to talk it out. And, you know, I report in the war room. It kind of felt like Texas had the really slight edge uh, several weeks ago. And but it was still, as it was described to me, you know, a coin flip 50 50. And now it really seems like USC has really uh, pushed for it, pushed forward and become the team to beat, at least going into Saturday for his commitment. Uh, Steve Wolfong put in a crystal ball for the Trojans, six confidence score uh, to, to land this edge rusher and six foot five, 235 due to swole, dude is built. Uh, so this will be a huge pickup, especially, you know, pulling a guy out of Texas where, you know, the staff has Texas roots. This is a guy, you know, Texas obviously wanted. Uh, and this will be a, a big one for the class in terms of, you know, the momentum. This will be their fourth straight commitment, get them up to number 15. And it seems like USC definitely has the juice going into this weekend, Gerard. Yeah, certainly. I think um, check it in with some of my Texas sources. It just seems like there hasn't been a whole lot of communication with him uh, over the past couple of weeks. And a uh, few people think that, you know, he's headed to USC. I think the feeling was either he was going to commit to Texas kind of right after uh, he took that official visit. So probably early July was what we were starting to hear and be a part of that wave with Arch Manning that Texas got with the momentum that they got from that commitment. Or he was going to wait because he had, you know, like a top 11 or top 10 that he put out. or Maybe it was a top seven. And that surprised a lot of people. But he has been building a lot of momentum as a recruit. His stock has been going up right, right. Uh, since late May. And, and quite frankly, he's underrated still a bit. There's some guys that I look at here that USC has offered scholarships to that are rated ahead of him that are flat out not better than him. So he's definitely a guy that's on the rise in terms of his stock as a prospect. And so there was thought that, okay, you know what? Texas A&M came in with an offer. They wanted to get him at their pool party. He was another guy that was on that list. Um, he'll probably go there. So maybe he's going to wait the process out a little more and take more official visits. So it came as a surprise a bit when he announced that he was going to make a commitment uh, this next week. It's kind of in between, I think, what a lot of the sources that I talked to that are close to Texas thought was going to happen. And that's that's a little bit of a red flag for them. And I think how quiet it's been over the past couple of weeks is also a bit of a red flag. And then we go back to, you know, Zachariah Branch talking about USC is going to get some linebacker commit soon. And we saw Tackett Curtis come through and Shelby is a bit more of a linebacker than just a pure rush end. Um, now looking at him versus the board versus the other rush end types that USC is recruiting. He is one of the few guys that actually plays well off the line of scrimmage and gives you some utility off the line of scrimmage. So, you know, we look at Drake Jackson. It was funny because Drake Jackson, there was a, a tweet uh, over the weekend talking a little bit about him as a, a football player and playing defensive line, 49ers camp, and how he hasn't really done defensive line drills the past few years because he's been playing mostly linebacker. Now, you and I, we can say this uh, with, with, with you know, no hesitation because it's not armchair quarterbacking. That was a bad move by USC. I didn't like the move initially, said that, felt like he's a defensive lineman. At the very least, he's a five technique, probably should put on the weight, try to be a three technique. He has natural pass rush skills, but he's a guy that you want to be getting upfield every snap that you can. You're wasting snaps by putting him at linebacker and having him kind of sort of floating out to the flats or playing the curl. 
with Braylon Shelby, you've got a guy that you actually can get some playmaking ability in doing that. That's not necessarily his strength, but he has the athleticism to be able to play in space. He plays stand-up. It's fine. And he also has the length and the size where he really overwhelms at the point of contact when he's containing. You know, he plays the, the option really well. He plays RPO really well. Again, because he has spatial awareness and he's comfortable in that respect, he's able to make plays out there and is not necessarily a guy that, you know, you're just going to line up in a two-point stance and rush the passer. So, you know, compared to what USC has on the board, I think he's one of the better players that they could get. I think he's better than Trey Wilson is at that respect. Trey Wilson's committed to, to Baylor now, but I think they were sort of similar. Um, similar to what USC has recruited David Peavy as well, who is actually rated as a linebacker, but USC has talked about putting him as sort of a hybrid rush end. So he and Braylon Shelby, to my knowledge, would be similar uh, in what they bring to the table. But I like Braylon Shelby. I, I really do like his size. I've talked about how I think he can gain weight and be in that 260 range. But maybe he's a guy that you just you know can pull off the line of scrimmage more and keep him more at that 240-250 range and, and actually be more of a Sam linebacker in certain formations, certain personnel sets. So I think he has that ability. He has that versatility where some guys, you want them to be at the line of scrimmage more and you want them to play more um, as, a, as a sort of a rush linebacker because that's just you know where their strengths are. Again, and we go back to like Drake Jackson, even Corey Foreman to that extent. You know, those guys, the majority of the time you want them to put their hand to the ground, you want them to rush the passer. And I would say the same as with Mateo Ungulale who is, you know, again, rush end, edge. We now have this edge category for 24-7, which is a bit ambiguous because you really have two different positions that are being thrown together here, just like with linebacker. And I don't know why they did this. It probably just makes it easier on the rankings. But you used to have inside linebackers and you had outside linebackers. Now you just have linebackers, right? So we know there's two positions there. And with edge, you have two positions. You have the five technique and you have more of that sort of jack linebacker, um, there's various different names to it, a linebacker that plays at the line of scrimmage and can be a rush end, but is also going to play the curl, he's going to play the flat. Sometimes you may even put him in man coverage against somebody coming out of the offensive backfield. So, you know, I think with Ungalale, that's more of a five technique. I think with Mateo, you want him to be rushing the passer to getting upfield more often than not. You do not want to waste time with him going out in the flat, you know, becoming what, you know, traditionally would be a zero blitz where you would blitz linebacker and then you have him peel off and play into the curl because the quarterback is going to see, you know, that linebacker rushing and he's going to look for a quick check and it's probably going to be the slant or it's going to be the curl. And then you have your, your defensive end basically peel off and get into that lane and maybe you get a quick pick from it. I don't think you want him doing that a lot. I mean, some of these defenses now schematically tight fronts, some of the, the hybrid defenses, they do use those edge guys more in coverage than ever before because teams are passing more than ever before. And they're using a lot of the short game than ever before. But I think with a guy like Ungalale, just like with Drake Jackson, you're handicapping him by using him a lot in that respect. And unfortunately, you know, with Drake Jackson, I have to say, I don't think it was a good move, but it was a move that he loved and, and his dad loved. And they loved the, the, the concept of all oh, being a, a USC linebacker, you know, being like a, a Willie McGinnis type of guy. But in reality, that's just not what his skill set was. He needed to be getting up one gap pass rusher 
And, and that's, I think, where, you know, the NFL is ultimately going to use him. And I think that's the same with Mateo and Galile. Everybody wants to be a linebacker. They want to play the position that's uh, looked at um, generally being more athletic than the position they play. You know, the corners are, are want to play receiver. Uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the defensive linemen want to play linebacker. Uh, you know, the, the linebackers want to play safety. It's, it's, it's that whole thing. Put the guy at the line of scrimmage, put his hand in the ground, let him get after the the, the quarterback. And I think with Brandon Shelby, he's a guy that while he can do that, he also does the other thing really well. And so I think he's a legitimately a guy that's a little more of a hybrid type guy that you can put off the line of scrimmage and he can make some plays for you. So it would be a great get for USC for, for sure. 100%. And um, it will be interesting to see, you know, how David Peavy's uh, decision follows. Cause like I said, I think those two guys are sort of similar uh, Trey Wilson was sort of in there too. I think if Trey Wilson would have committed, uh, I don't know if they would have still, you know, went after David PV. I'm not really sure how that would have went. Um, but at this point, I think they still want, you know, with Braylon, if he gets committed, I kind of still think they're still going to take David PV if he commits as well. Um, but it will be interesting to see you know, how it goes because I think Mateo Ungulele wants to hear how he could play more of a hybrid linebacker position when in reality, I think he's definitely got to be sold on being more of a defensive lineman. And I think that's where his potential lies. And that's where he's going to make money um, at the next level. You ready for that? Boom! Hurricane. Well, there you go. Braylon Shelby's got the hurricane forecast stamp of approval uh, after that uh, eloquent breakdown. Thank you so much, uh, Gerard. And again, he's going to be deciding on August 6th. Between Texas and USC, you can check that out on our uh, 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. And also, if you haven't, uh, subscribe to that channel. And you can subscribe to us, too, at Inside Troy on YouTube. Uh, Gerard, I think we've earned a, a break after a long, cold open and some, some heavy topics to talk about. So we're going to get here, take a break, hit on some new offers, an update mainly with the wide receivers, a little bit about the underclassmen barbecue. Then we got a handful of questions to get through. Sound good? Sounds fantastic. All right. We'll be right back after this break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So how was the break? It was great as usual. I won't make any foreign language uh, jokes. It was uh, it was short but sweet. Short but sweet. And I'm sure it's going to come back up at some point 
you're you're you you rope a dope me last week, so I'll, I'll be I'll be <laughs> I'll be looking for it. Uh, and speaking of last week, we ha- we talked about a newsy topic uh, about a certain five star receiver go uh, transferring to the Southern California area to modern day and Jerron Dickey out of NorCal. But this week we're we're talking about how that he's not actually going to modern day. Uh, so Gerard, reaction to this: the tr- the transfer portal not working out for modern day uh, with a certain five star. Yeah, I you know there's been some talk like modern day doesn't take senior transfers. I don't really know what the policy is at, at modern day. I mean, at one point you couldn't um, early roll out of modern day either. You know, modern day definitely adjusts um, as time goes on to try to give themselves uh, you know every advantage they can possibly get. So I don't know if that was the case or what have you. I mean, certainly it benefits Oregon to not have him in Southern California and being able to uh, attend football games. There's been some talk that maybe uh, he might end up at the same school as Jaden Rashada because Miami has been recruiting him a lot. So, you know, again, we kind of have that little bit of cynicism in the back of our heads about NIL and, and whether that's dictating, you know, where kids are going to school or not. But we've seen some interesting moves, um, you know, to St. John Bosco. Uh, with uh, some of the Louisville commits. So, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. But for USC, it obviously uh, is not good news because they don't have him locally where he can go, you know, up to to USC games and be around USC a bunch. Um, USC obviously recruiting a bunch of those guys at Modern Day and have had some uh, kids that come out of Modern Day that uh, are are playing at USC. So it would have been much easier uh, to get him there for some unofficial visits and just get around campus and get around the coaches uh, more right. often. Didn't mean that, you know, he was going to flip and end up committing to USC, but I just think it would have made him uh, a, uh, a little more, let's just say a, a, a target that would have been a little more realistic for USC to recruit. You know, at this point, if he stays in the Bay area, uh, USC hasn't recruited the Bay area particularly well. I don't know if they have any really good um, connections up there to any of those schools. So I don't know if it's necessarily going to be something that uh, really helps them. And, you know, interestingly enough, we've seen um, USC uh, expand their recruiting board uh, with wide receivers, big wide receivers. So, you know, maybe one thing has something to do with the other if you're trying to connect the dots. Right. And obviously, you thank you for setting me up with that segue, because there was a new significant 2023 uh, wide receiver offer that went out to uh, Mesa, Arizona, four star prospect Jacoby Lane out of uh, Red Mountain uh, High School, a consensus four-star prospect. He's not a top 247 prospect, but he is one of those non-247 four-stars, number 371 in the composite, uh, number 49 wide receiver in the composite, number 30 the 24-7 sports uh, uh, rankings, six foot four, 175 pounds, lean, great frame, great uh, catch radius, guy can leap out of the gym. Uh, you know, he's recently picked up a lot more uh, attention. Uh, he's picked up, uh, he's got Utah offer, but he's recently over here at the past end of the summer, picked up Texas A&M, Oregon, and the Trojans. And Oregon quickly picked up a slew of crystal balls for him. Oregon was a dream school for him growing up. So USC is looking like they're uh, uh, on the outside looking in for this one, but it is an interesting offer. And it also is a big offer in terms of size we talked about orlando greenlow who usc offered earlier this summer he's six foot five so it looks like usc is definitely in the market for a bigger uh longer 
uh, wide receiver for this class. Uh, I know Blair Angulo is very high on Jacoby Lane. Uh, I saw him out in Vegas. Uh, he wasn't a target then, so I wasn't. I didn't watch him specifically, but you notice that this guy is a legit six foot four, very long, uh, great leaper. Uh, you can tell he, he needs to put on some weight to his frame, but just an explosive athlete. And, you know, I think this would be a really good fit for the class in terms of getting one of those bigger body receivers to complement kind of those smaller, shiftier guys that are already in the class. So definitely an interesting offer. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's any – I wouldn't be surprised if some more USC wide receiver targets come on the board with some offers this fall. Yeah, a guy that got a slew of summertime offers. I mean, a lot of his latest scholarship offers have come – in June and from the May evaluation process. And so, you know, everybody gets wrapped up in, you know, what the rankings are, you know, as we're we're getting into May, but, you know, some of these kids are going to emerge during the summer. Some of these kids are going to emerge during the season. And I think the wide receiver position, defensive back position uh, in California is always a position that uh, you have to keep an eye for, for guys that kind of come out of the woodwork. And uh, maybe you didn't hear a whole bunch from them um, earlier in the year but sort of emerged late in the process. So, you know, we have, as you said, another bigger, taller wide receiver that's offered. So clearly USC trying to kind of go in a different direction for their wide receiver room, um, you know, was uh, going to be uh, Brandon Enos that was going to be that third receiver who was very similar, um, at least in terms of build to maybe a, a, a Makai Lemon um, not so much Zach Branch, but still a smaller receiver. And if you don't get him, maybe you get DeAndre Moore, who's very much like Makai Lemon and sort of similar uh, in uh, how you would use him to the receivers that USC have. Now you're talking about going in a completely different direction and sort of bringing in somebody that uh, that can play off of Zach Branch and Makai Lemon. So I, I like the balance. I, I said that before. I think with you know running backs and wide receivers. You want to have a little bit of diversity in that room because you never know what your matchup is going to be like from right. week in to week out. You may be playing a very physical team. You may be playing a very pass-happy team, and that works for both sides of the football. So um, I think it's interesting just to see USC. You know, they're, 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 they're moving in that direction with these new offers. Um, they have offered Malachi Kel- uh, Coleman already. I think a different type of player, though. I mean, a guy that's 6'4", 195 pounds out of Lincoln, Nebraska – that could be a tough pull in and of itself, but also watching their film, you know, Malachi Coleman is just more of a big athlete. He's a guy that has as much film playing defensive end as he has playing wide receiver. So certainly not, you know, like a natural pass catcher, uh, but a big athlete who's got some speed. Whereas you look at Jacoby Lane, he's a wide receiver. You know, he's got some tape as a defensive back, but he's a wide receiver through and through good ball skills. Um, questionable speed but certainly I think that's where he's improved himself over the past year and that's why you see more scholarship offers he's rail thin so he's got to be able to put on some weight um, but that's something that's okay you know sort of you know on film maybe looks a little bit like a poor man's Dwayne Jarrett to some extent Um, I have not seen him in person like you have uh, so it's you know a a sort of cusp evaluation just watching film but certainly very thin and um, he does have some physicality I mean he does block on film to some extent. Uh, but again, this is uh, a taller wide receiver and a guy that um, sort of complements uh, Zach Branch and, and Makai Lemon uh, more than it is another, you know, kind of six foot receiver, which, you know, we saw going into the month of June, 
Um, that was kind of USC's board. They really had not gone after a lot of big wide receivers. And yeah. looking back, and we talked about this, looking back at what Lincoln Riley had success with at Oklahoma, he didn't really have a lot of big receivers. It wasn't a lot of six three, six four guys. A lot of guys were leaning on that six one range, six uh, six foot range. And so, you know, this is a little bit of a, a, a change of pace maybe for them, but they have USC to recruit. And USC has a tremendous amount of tradition with big receivers. And like I said before, Lincoln Riley has not necessarily coached any of those guys, but that doesn't matter. It's still one of those things where kids want to try to envision themselves in those jerseys. And they started thinking about Dwayne Jarrett, Patrick Turner, Mike Williams, um, you know, uh, Drake London, all these guys that are bigger receivers that had success at USC. So uh, this is another one where um, we're going to see if they're able to get uh, an official visit scheduled with Jacoby Lane. I would think they would be able to get that official visit. It's going to be a matter of uh, when they get him on campus. Right. And he's only taken one. So he has Ford available. Gerard, can you guess what school he's only his only official visit taken so far? Uh, I think it was what, like Colorado State or somewhere. Wasn't yeah, it? Colorado State. Which, yeah. you know, we don't I don't really see a lot of Colorado State official visit uh, tags on a player's page that USC is recruiting. But there it is. You know, uh, well, that, Lane is blown that speaks up. To, that speaks to kind of where he was as a prospect, yeah. you know, earlier yeah. in the spring. Absolutely. Uh, guys blow up and this guy's uh, guys blowing up and could even blow up even more during the fall. So I have to fo- follow that. I love my I love me a a a springy six foot four receiver. So I definitely think USC should try to get one of those uh, for this class. And looking ahead, our final sort of uh, talking point before we get into a, some questions is the underclassmen barbecue slash pool party that USC hosted uh, on Saturday. We kind of previewed it a little bit with some of the, the bigger names that we knew were going to be there and some big names showed up, you know, it was around 50 to 60 kids. Most of them, the 2024, 2025, even some 2026s were in attendance. You know, they came in, talked to some of the coaches, took some photos, and then headed over to the Aquatic Center for where they had food. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of the coaches were hanging out, talked to some some players already who were there. You know, they said they had a great time. They they were able to get one-on-one time with the coaches. Even there, there was, you know, a decent amount of kids, you know, 50, 60 kids. That's not an insignificant amount. But, you know, they were having a good time. You know, some of the – there was a uh, – I believe uh, someone told me there was a uh, a uh, what is it called cannonball contest. Uh, you know they were utilizing uh, those uh, uh, diving boards that are right there with the uh, diving team. Uh, I think we've seen that with uh, past USC teams that have had their fun during the spring, going over to the pool and just having some a good time. So coaches were getting involved. Uh, Aaron Butler was there. He told me he had a great time. The 2024 USC commit, who we haven't really heard from. Uh, throughout this uh, offseason. But the two big additions were obviously the two big boys out of modern day, DeAndre Carter and Brandon Baker, who were sort of maybes going into the that visit, but they ended up you know, confirming that they were going to take a trip, uh, Baker being the big one at the number two offensive tackle prospect in the, in the country. He said he had a really good time, really enjoyed it. They showed up a little bit late, so they didn't really get to do the photo shoot and all that, but they've done those before. But for them, it was just, you know, hanging out the pool, you know, talking to Coach uh, Josh Henson. You know, they said they had great conversations with them, good conversation with Lincoln Riley. And the big thing was Henson told him straight up, you know, you're a priority for me. You're you're the guy I want. I don't want to finish second in your recruitment. So they let him know off the off the bat where where, where they want to stand with him. 
And Baker's, you know, said the big good thing good thing about Baker, you know, being a top offensive tackle prospect is that he's local. And he said, you know, as many weekends as I have where I'm free and I'm around, I want to go up to USC and I want to check out games at the Coliseum. So obviously I would assume Carter would be with him. So those, those two seem to travel in a, in a duo. Uh, and then USC had a, a big Bosco contingent there of, of not a huge Bosco contingent, but a, a solid core that I think they would love to have in this, in this, in this 24 class with, you know, Peyton Woodyard, who's a, a top 50 prospect uh, at safety uh, Kingston, I can never say the the last name. Uh, the linebacker out of uh, St. John Bosco, he was there. Um, Michelle's Williams, Max Williams' younger brother, a top uh, 150 cornerback, and then Jordan Lockhart, who's really come on as one of their linebacker prospect targets, uh, an Ole Miss commit for the class. You know, that's a really solid uh, defensive core that you could all that USC could seamlessly get all at once uh, out of the Braves. So. They had those guys up there, so a lot of a star power uh, was on campus. And from people I talked to, it seems like it was a really good. It was a, it was a success uh, for the staff. Yeah, I think um, you know, kind of going back to the Malachi Nelson subject that we were talking about. You know, one of the other aspects that we didn't talk about. You know, we obviously discuss NIL because that's such a new thing and it's such an evolving thing, and there's a lot to try to grasp with that subject. We also haven't talked about offensive linemen and the lack of offensive linemen and how that's hurt USC in the past with quarterback recruiting. You know, that hurt them with Bryce Young. And that was something that Alabama used as a negative recruiting tactic to dislodge the commitment of Bryce Young from USC. Now, USC didn't do themselves any favors. That Clay Helton is the head coach, and they turn around and they lost to BYU. And that obviously turned into fan base saying, fire this guy already, and school saying he was going to get fired. And that was a big deal for them as well as thinking that Clay Helton was going to get fired at the end of the season. They were bringing in a new coach, and that actually didn't happen. But nevertheless, we talk about stability in recruiting and how important it is. That hurt them with Bryce Young. But one of the initial draws to Alabama for Bryce Young was playing behind a five-star offensive line and Texas A&M has a, a pretty good offensive line. Uh, not quite, you know, the level of what Alabama was recruiting, but you're going to see schools try to attack USC on that front because they have not had a lot of success recruiting the offensive line. So that's uh, one of those things. It's a, you know, another kind of a, a, another factor that plays in with some of these uh, recruitments, you know, positions affecting other positions. And certainly uh, USC, you know, we, we said they have to get Josh Connolly Jr. You know, they have to get Francis Mago. They have to get Josh Simmons or Lucas Simmons. They have to get this guy, this guy, and they've missed and they missed and they missed. I'll say it again. They have to get the modern day contingency of offensive linemen. They've got to get DeAndre Carter and they've got to be able to get uh, Brandon. And that's just it. You know, it's just, it, it's just one of those things. You want to build a championship program. You have to get these players. Now, you know, it's not all said and done in this class, 2023. Uh, but uh, obviously there's been some misses to this extent. And I kind of wonder, you know, that may also impact uh, Malachi Nelson to some extent. And uh, USC has to uh, try to rectify that now. But certainly, you know, they've got to try to get it, uh, uh, you know, ahead of the game in the future and, and not have to play behind 
on guys um, when it comes to recruiting uh, not only offensive tackles, but the interior offensive line as well. And there was one offer that came out, uh, Jamiron, I think I'm saying that right, Jamiron Baker, speaking of Brandon Baker, uh, a low-sal wide receiver. I believe he is a 2026, Gerard, that's correct? Correct. He was actually offered a scholarship. I don't think it was at the event. It might have been, I think, the day before he actually unofficially visited campus and went on tour and became the first uh, player at the wide receiver position to earn a scholarship uh, offer from USC. There you go. Historic, historic moment for uh, Los Al, man. They got some athletes down there. They're doing they do. Right They're Al. building it up. They're building it up. And the first wide receiver offer for 2026 is on the board officially uh, for what you know was deemed a pretty successful weekend for this barbecue. Um, Gerard, unless you have anything else to add, because that is no. Sort I, was, of, I was supposedly on vacation, so I have nothing else to add. Uh, he isn't in this. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, and now we're going to take it into our favorite part of the show the listener questions and if you want to ask us something you want to hear your name on the podcast you want to hear gerard uh compliment your question or uh go on a 30-minute rant for your question you can email us at podcast at uscfootball.com just make sure you put the composite cilantro boys those latino guys 10k hurricane whatever you want to say not menudo boys because gerard does not want that uh, send your email there, or you can DM me your question. That seems to be the popular mode of asking for a question. Don't do it to Gerard, because he's not going to respond. DMs are probably not even open. Actually, I know they're not open. So, again, you can email us at podcast at com or send me a DM with your question. Gerard, only got four on the board, so are you ready to run through these? Yeah, let's go. Okay. First one comes from my guy, Terrence House. Uh, was it ever confirmed that USC had five visitors the Tackett Curtis official visit weekend? It was mentioned that there could have been a down low visitor. If so, was it potentially fruitful? Now, we did talk yeah. about this on the board, but this was sort of theorized that there was a five. There was five visitors on that four person. Well, confirmed. it wasn't theorized. It was a it was a it was a really good source. that said there was five visitors. And what we what we theorized was that it was potentially a transfer that was visiting that weekend and they did not want to get that out. And we, ne- we never, <laughs> we never really heard hide nor hair as to who that was. There was some hints, but I don't want to just, you know, start throwing names into the wind, but I, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it hasn't come to fruition in any transfers yet. So from that standpoint, it hasn't been fruitful. But is it, you know, a player that's uh, still on the board that's, you know, obviously wouldn't be able to play the season because um, you had to to make that uh, deck. Well, actually, it's not true. You just had to make the declaration to the school you're at that you're transferring before May 1st in order to transfer. But we haven't. But what if you're not taking classes? Yeah, I, I, I mean, we haven't heard about anybody coming in this late. You know, I mean, obviously, fall camp starts this week. So that would be kind of surprising. Um, but that was what we theorized from it because a good source had said, yeah, you know, there's five official visitors this weekend and we knew four of them. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, the follow-up was not, uh, you know, well, who's the fifth at that particular point in time. And, uh, we haven't heard, uh, really anything about that since. If USC gets a random transfer pickup in the middle of fall camp, I'm just going to say that was who it was. That's who it was. 
just prob- that's who it was. probably who it was, you know. But the thing about transfers, man, they 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 come and go midweek. Um, right. It's it's a real hard thing to keep track of, you know. A lot of those guys just don't want to really be um, open about the schools that they're looking at. So it's difficult to 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 keep an eye on the portal and sort of the comings and goings of of certain players. And hopefully, there's a little more. Um, uniformity in terms of like when guys can can enter the portal and when guys can transfer. I know a lot of the college coaches would like to see that because right now recruiting is literally every every second of the day, you know, 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It just never ends. And um, I, I kind of feel sorry for them. I, I don't know how you have a family life um, covering this stuff. It's difficult to have a family life. How do you have a family life when you're actually coaching on top of the recruiting process it, it's it's crazy I, I just know that there's a lot of guys that um you know that are in the nfl now that are like i have no interest in going back to college this one was a text question you can also text us questions but don't ask me how because i have no idea how we got this one i guess it's specifically for for us excuse me comes from johnny g how come sc never went after simone pale Simone Pale being the three-star interior offensive lineman out of Elk Grove, California, uh, committed to Stanford Cardinal, uh, four-star in our rankings, uh, interior offensive lineman, 6'4", 320. I believe USC was involved with him. They had an offer out to him, I believe. I believe he took an unofficial visit at one point. Uh, I think it's just a case of, you know, USC had guys higher on the board that they wanted, whether that be Amos Talalele, uh, Alani Noah, uh, Micah Benuelos, I think that just, you know, he didn't, uh, they just had other guys higher uh, on their board. Obviously, academics wasn't the issue. Uh, I just think they just had guys they liked more. Yeah, I think Alani Noah is the reason. Yeah, there you go. Uh, another short one. Uh, this one comes from uh, Tariq. Does USC have any interest in recruiting Talifi Tala? Uh, that is a four-star composite offensive tackle, six foot seven, two eighty, out of Sandy, Utah, uh, in the twenty twenty-three class, has offers from Arizona, Michigan State, Oregon State, Arizona State, and BYU, among some other ones. Just picked up, uh, or recently picked up, uh, Michigan as well. So s- seeing a little bit of his stock rise. Uh, obviously, six foot seven, two eighty. You like that frame? Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if maybe they uh, kick the tires. Uh, down the line, I know Sean Nua does follow him, maybe from his time at Michigan. So he definitely knows of him. Uh, perhaps an offer will come out, you know, in the middle of the fall. But I would say they're aware of him, but I do not think they're actively recruiting him at this moment. They've offered him a scholarship. So, yeah, oh, really? Tala it was offered a scholarship um, way oh, yeah. back. You're right there. There you go. Um, I, I don't know that they're in constant communication with him. I think it was one of those things where they try to get him out on some unofficial visits. And I don't know that he really went anywhere um, other than maybe Utah or, or locally. And so, you know, the schools in communication with him and, and seem to be recruiting him the hardest right now are like Oregon state. Um, I can't remember what his list is exactly. Let me, let me look real quick. Um, uh, Ta'ala. I think it's like Oregon State and okay, so Oregon State, Arizona, and Michigan, Michigan State, State yeah. are the three schools that have the highest interest 
And I would think that he's probably got some type of connection to those schools for some reason or the other, obviously, you know, with Arizona, um, Bernie Carroll is actually his lead recruiter. So interesting. Um, Oregon state, just not necessarily the, the, the biggest schools. Um, and I, I think it's probably just a matter of who gets a hold of him and whether he's that high up on the board or not. And if you don't take unofficial visits and you don't reciprocate interest, then sometimes schools are like, well, we got guys that are higher on the board anyway, so we're going to go concentrate on those guys. So um, I don't want to say that, you know, USC is is not recruiting Tala, but I would say that, you know, he probably wasn't super high on the board. And because he hasn't taken any interest in taking unofficial visits and actually going to campus, um, they're probably, you know, just sort of like, you know, that would be way down the line uh, to recruit him. So um, I would, I, I, I don't know I want to say they're not actively recruiting. They could, they could still call him here and again, but you know, sometimes these guys just don't pick up the phone. So I don't know that uh, they're really in the mix for him or he's a guy that uh, is, is um, you know, really even looking at USC. There you go. Uh, and our final question comes from Danny uh, who usually initiates the talks when a player transfers high schools whether it's across town or a bigger school or across the country. Would that be the God uncle? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody comes along that's usually associated <laughs> with the program and says, Hey man, you're too good to be at that school. Uh, why don't you come here? And so that's, that's who initiates contact. Um, you know, IMG have people that work uh, yeah, kind of like yep, support yep. staff um, and uh, they recruit, you know, they, they reach out to various different high school football players and um, say, Hey, you could come here. And this is going to be just like going to college. We'll pay for room and board. Um, you know, we, we have access to all these different colleges. But, you know, it's more of a like this experience is going to get you more ready for college than any other experience you would have at any other high school. Um, with parochial schools, obviously, you have that education where um, they're able to hire, uh, you know, top notch professors. And that obviously appeals to parents. And so they're able to build a roster and they put a lot of resources in the football program. So you have good weight rooms and um, you have good meal plans and, uh, you know, everything's sort of sorted out. And so there's a, there's people that are associated with the program. You'd be surprised, you know, sometimes they're JV coaches or sometimes they're freshman coaches or they're just people that are, you know, um, you know, part of the staff, but they're not necessarily uh, the, the, the assistant coaches. Because just like. With college, there are certain rules in, right. in high school football. And if it's recruiting, then you don't want somebody that's actually a part of the staff staff um, that's out there, you know, calling kids saying, hey, come to our school. Um, it's uh, better than the school you're at. Um, so who initiates contact? You know, it, it's it's more who 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 do they initiate contact with? You know, do they talk to the kid? Is it um, the players that are from the other school that, that they're around? Because, you know, you have the camp circuit. You have seven-on-seven seven circuit. These kids are friends. And a lot of times they just get to know each other and they're like, hey, let's all go to the Hanslin High School and go win a CIA championship. You know, that happens a lot. Um, but like I said, other times it's 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 different. I mean, I think when you've got cross country travel and transfers, you're, you're, you're talking about, you know, people that are involved um, uh, with the program. Then you've got adults that are talking about those situations, because obviously there's a lot more that goes involved with that. Um, but it can change. You know, it can be different. Um, I know that there's certain systems that are involved with the parochial programs and the, and the Pop Warner programs. And, um, you know, folks that uh, they do that, you know, that's kind of sort of their main job uh, for uh, these these big uh, parochial powers. And don't believe uh, the show All-American in the first episode, the head coach from the opposing school 
met up with a player after their season opening game, right before he got on the bus or out of the locker room to recruit him for their school, to go to the Beverly Hills school from uh, whatever Crenshaw school he was at. So don't believe that's a bunch of bullshit. No head coach is going to the opposing player after their home game opener to recruit him right there on school campuses. That's not what's happening. And it's the yeah. biggest, biggest bull crap I've ever seen. Right you, we, got asked, we, we got asked the other week about um, favorite football movie, I think it was, or, or something of that nature. And, and we kind of talked about Where that. The, yeah, the football kind of, the like football scenes, is that what? Or, or best and worst sports movie, that's what it was. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, that's yeah. what it was. And, and, and so you've never seen the program, correct? Right. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so you got to see the program. And I don't think you've ever seen Blue Chips either. I've seen parts of Blue Chips, but I haven't. That's the one with Shaq, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen parts Wolfie. of that, but I haven't seen the whole thing. Yeah, so those two movies, you definitely got to go I'm, see those. Those, gotta, are like, gotta, those would be I, at the top of my list. I got to... I gotta see where it's streaming. Where is it streaming? Um, blue chip. I mean, you know, if you got HBO Max, everything seems to end up at. Oh, HBO okay. At some point or not, I can look. I'll, I'll text you. I'll let you know if it's on there. But okay. Seen floating around very often on those on those uh, those outlets, the the streaming outlets. But I've seen blue chips pop up before. Okay, well, let me know, and I'll try to get those done uh, before the, our next show. And Gerard, that's going to close out uh, another edition of the Composite Two Star Recruits. I'm sure we'll have some things to talk about next week with a possible commitment and Braylon Shelby and USC Fall Camp starts on Friday. So I, I am sure some of our discussions will talk about uh, what's going on there at the start of Fall Camp and, and Lincoln Riley era, Lincoln Riley era moves closer. We're officially a month away to the season, so lots of content coming, lots of things to talk about. Gerard, anything you want to say before we go? No. Um, good podcast. Uh, I think there was a lot of information there. Again, I apologize for those that are just kind of getting used to recruiting and just starting to follow it, the ebbs and flows of commitments and silent commitments and what they mean, and then we get into the weeds with NIL and all this kind of crazy talk. Um, certainly, I think, you know, subscribe to the Peristyle because you'll get a plethora of information and conversations and it's probably easier to follow from that standpoint. And Chris and I, particularly, I am always there on to answer your questions specifically. If you have follow-up questions about this type of uh, content and conversation that we have uh, from this podcast. Well, there you go. Join the Peristyle. I'm Chris. That's Gerard, AKA hurricane. And we will catch you next time on composite two star recruits. That leopard sucks.